Oh, Detective Seven, I see. No, no, I haven't seen him. And even if I had, I wouldn't be volunteering that information to you. Cut the deadpan, Inspector. One of the things our patrons value down here is safety from scrying, magic, and otherwise. <sighs> but you are a guest. Listen here, Seven, you've got a choice to make. You can turn around and walk right back through that wall, or you can keep your questions to yourself and order a drink. So, what'll it be? Pure, clear whiskey. Something clear, huh? Figures. It's my absolute pleasure to have you back to the secret cellar for episode three. I'll be talking with improvisational actor and comedian Alan Linick about improv, gaming, technology, and of course, a woman with hollow eyes. As usual, the longer you stick around, the nerdier things will get. You've been warned. You'll also meet my friend and fellow Invisible Sun beta tester, Talbert So, in a new segment I'm debuting tonight. But now, Vizsla's Call. So, Alan Linick, welcome to The Secret Cellar. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm glad to have you. Uh, what are you drinking tonight? I've got, um, got a white dog in front of me, which is an unaged whiskey. Pure, clear whiskey. That sounds amazing. I'm not familiar with white dog. What can you tell me about it? Uh, it's just a colloquialism, a, a slang term for uh, a whiskey that is super young and hasn't been aged in a barrel, so it hasn't gotten that kind of amber coloring at all yet. It's just kind of clear. Nice. So none of the, the oaky, woodsy stuff, just uh, sharp and bright. And... Yep, just hard. Hard and uh, painful. Uh, painful. That's the best. <laughs> I wish I could trade you. I um I just came from the park with my family, which was lovely. But that means, see here in Shadow, we have these things called Starbucks, and um I got a uh you know strawberry green tea fusion something something, which has been refreshing. It's far less painful than your white dog. Yes, I'm a fan of uh, cold brew teas. Yeah, yeah, they're they're quite pleasant. Um, I think, you know, many of the nerds listening to this are like invisible sun nerds who probably don't need an introduction to you. But, you know, the non-invisible sun nerds listening to this show may not have any idea who you are. Do you want to tell me a bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. I, I mean, I just assume that anyone I meet has no idea who I am. I can pretend I have no idea who you are if that makes you feel happier. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> um, well, uh, hello. I'm Alan Linick. I am a stage comedian from Chicago, Illinois, and uh, a big RPG and other kinds of nerd. I recently wrapped up season one of uh, Woman with Hollow Eyes, which is an Invisible Sun live stream um, through the OneShot RPG network uh, and run by Darcy Ross, who is an amazing GM. Yes. And um, I run some games of my own and uh, also a podcast called TLDM where me and my buddy Tyler talk about uh, what it's like DMing Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition games and uh, experiences we have DMing for each other specifically and how things felt from both sides of the Dungeon Masters. It's, it's interesting to learn from someone whose game you've been sitting in Sure. Is, is very different than I think the normal course of things where you kind of listen to people or get tips from people that you've never actually played with before. Right. 
yeah, that's neat having that context. I've enjoyed a kind of built-in breakdown either of a game session that just happened or the sort of post-season breakdown you guys had for Women with Hollow Eyes. It's really interesting getting that extra layer of what were the players thinking at the time that this happened? And Oh yeah, the built-in character decompression post-session thing is like built into the rules of Invisible Sun, and I just think that's smart. Yeah, it is. It's something I've stolen, and now I'm just always going to build into my own rules of anything I ever play. <laughs> oh, same, 100%. Yeah, super good. This podcast is about modern storytelling, and you have significant background in improv. You're part of Second City in Chicago, correct? I am, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so neat. So I was just wondering if you could tell me a bit about how you became involved in improv as a thing and kind of what it's meant for you as an artist and then as a human and as a storyteller across the course of your life. Oh, wow. I think uh, improv is just kind of like a beautiful, fun thing. And in, in a lot of ways, the, the things that I like most about it kind of are the things that I like most about playing RPGs in general. Sure. Which is that there's this, it's just infinite potential that you're tapping into in little bits and pieces at a time and mm. then passing around in like a circle and then everyone gets to kind of like touch it and give it back to you and it becomes this thing that like you never would have thought of yeah. on your own and it's kind of like surprising and fun and you just have all this power and options and joy and everything you do is good yeah. somehow. It's a, real, it's a really affirming art form. And coupled with just that, I just have always really enjoyed making people laugh and um, doing that with your friends is like, wow, that's just the, the best. best. Just the best. It's just I the know. best. It's yeah. just unbeatably good. Yeah. Ah, yes. And it, it's, it, it's been really fun. And, and going from someone who kind of like, haha, like improvised sometimes for fun to uh, someone who moved to try to like, really study and learn this thing and then going from that to doing it as a job and going from that to teaching it now and like mm, it's, cool. it's just been an interesting all the way around yeah i feel like storytelling is a thing that we very naturally are drawn toward as humans and we all do it in our various ways but communal storytelling where everyone is collectively forming this thing I think it's much more common that we know this through music, like many people are musicians. And especially if you're doing, you know, something more on the improvisational end of the spectrum, you know, jazz musicians or jam bands or whatever, there's this just absolute, like, unbounded joy in even watching a group of people play. And it's obvious that they're listening to each other deeply and responding and, you know, playing and, and you know, Having fighting and, and yeah. you know, doing all this based on each other. And it's not a, a super common or culturally practiced thing in America, at least, I think, to like tell stories together. And I think that that communal joy of watching the thing you're all making turn into something delightful and unexpected is just such a, a deeply wonderful experience. And I... I recognize that in both art forms. It's very cool. Yeah. It's just good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just good. Really good. It's a good, pure sort of creation process that's just happening right in front of everyone. There's no hidden aspects to it or like um, kind of bashing away at it in a way that writing typically goes where there's this endless revision process. Yeah, there, there's a certain freedom in the fact that as the thing comes out in that moment, it's done. Like, 
once you've spoken something, that's it. That's the art. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think there's a sense with a lot of creative things, like just creative outlets in general, that not knowing something or not having something prepared is like, that's the ultimate anxiety, right? Being put on the spot mm, right. is so scary. And the, that's ultimately like the thing that I, I, I think I see a lot of people trip up with when they're writing or playing tabletop games or play anything, which is like, mm-hmm. well, we went off script. You know, what now? Oh, like, what do I do? Right. And there's, a, there's kind of a panic associated with that, that I think years of intentionally putting myself into mm-hmm. a position where I kind of have to make them up and run has kind of taken that fear or worry out of me in a way that the things that I can't see coming or the things that genuinely like, oh man, I don't know what's about to happen. Like those are now the joy moments. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are like being off script is now, now kind of a playground or a, yeah. an opportunity. Yes. Rather than, yeah. Especially if I, if I don't immediately have an answer or like a jerk, like, oh, I can just do this. Is Those are the moments where I'm like, wow, this is truly something that I have never seen before. Mm, um, yeah. And those are the funnest. So it's interesting kind of feeling my, my brain shift from that, like, kind of fear of the unknown to the, like, actively seeking the unknown. Uh, yeah, that really is a, a life difference. Um, you didn't have any familiarity with Invisible Sun before coming into Women with Hollow Eyes as a project, right? I didn't. And I kind of built my character blind and um, got into it blind and have just been kind of learning as I go, which has been fascinating. I'm, I'm curious, especially for your initial impressions, not quite knowing what you were getting yourself into. How does Invisible Sun strike a person getting hit in the face with it? <laughs> uh, oh, wow. I think as with any RPG game, I think character creation, it's just a lot to take in all at once. Uh-huh. And then with Invisible Sun specifically, of course, there's there's so many different tracks for advancement. You know, you have your your order, you have kind of general spells and character secrets. You have your house that you can sort of build on in advance. You have your forte. So putting all those puzzle pieces together to make uh, a, char- a character that is fun mechanically. Mm-hmm. Um, was kind of daunting, I would say. Daunting is a great, I think, a great word for it. Yeah, I think that's entirely reasonable. <laughs> of course, all of that to say that having that much flexibility and choice pays off. Like, that's sure the, the reason that it's there is not to be complicated, it's to allow you to like really build into the niche that you like as a player. Mm-hmm. And I think Invisible Sun is a great system for activating, like, you can build down to a granular level what you want your character to feel like if you guys had like a post-season debriefing wrap-up for one with hollow eyes and i actually thought it spoke very deeply of the strength of the system that you had started off as a maker and then didn't really find that that worked very well for you and then were able to just switch directions and start investing deeply in other things and the fact that that flexibility was there and worked out well is actually really neat. I think a lot of games, if the primary class that you set out to be wasn't fun, that would be it. The game would just not be fun. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, again, picked blind uh, based on what on paper sounded like the most fun for me. Sure. And then ultimately realized that there were other choices that I had made that were way more interesting to explore and just 
leaned in that direction with my sweet, sweet despairs that I racked up over the course of the season. <laughs> so many despairs. So much despair. Um, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And um, I'm really excited. James, I think at one point said something that I will, I think I'm going to have on my business cards, which is that I'm the kind of player whose characters have an expiration date on them. Because <laughs> um, I'm always looking for the next thing to play or the next interesting thing to try. And holy moly, you want to talk about a system where there's almost infinity choices. Visible yeah. Sun is that system. So I'm really excited to hopefully get to a season two where I can experiment with some new character concepts now that I feel like I have a firmer grasp on the lore and the world and all that. Yeah, well, we would all love to see that. When you think back on the experience of being a character in Invisible sure. Sun or of the larger story that ended up being told in Invisible Sun, what are some of the things that maybe wouldn't have played out that same way if you were in a different oh, system? Oh, that's a good question. I think as a general rule, I tend not to play kind of serious characters, even I would say, let alone, let alone despondent, like the kind of despairing, <laughs> self-destructive personality of that Wayne was like even leaving that aside I, I tend not to play very serious characters in uh, RPGs I think that in this game in particular there's something mechanically so rewarding about you know death is like almost inherently impermanent mm -hmm. horrible things happening to you at, at the end of the day are are just as effective for your ability to obtain new skills or maintain a, a sense of character progression as good things are, which is neither of those things are true in most games, right? Especially in games where maybe one of those two things are true, it's very unlikely that the other one is also true. Right? Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. So I think Invisible Sun kind of allowed me to flex into this kind of like tragic mopey guy character that I I, I just, <laughs> the idea of playing him, well, that was never... Like when I was making Wayne, I, I kind of... Uh, pictured him as like an, an adventure style guy, like a, you know, classic noir mm -hmm. sort of protagonist. And then he just kind of really quickly turned into this angry, self-defeating hubris man. <laughs> sure. Uh, and I, I think that that's, that's something that the, the system enabled me to be and was super fun to play. Have, have you played on screen with that particular group of people I haven't. Before? I actually had not met Darcy or Kat before day one. Really? Wow, that's mind blowing. Yeah, it's like familiar with them. Sure, yeah. Um, but we had never met face to face until pretty much day one of our what like before the actual season started. We did that kind of advance, kind of environmental world building stuff. Kind of session zero thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that that was like basically the first time I really got to meet and hang out with them. Oh, interesting. Um, that's neat. But it just speaks to their capabilities and their experience that it always felt smooth and fun. And I, I got the sense of a rapport in the room with the three of them that usually takes a while to develop. And I think right, rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very tangible, like from the outside that was felt, uh, you know, to the point where <laughs> I am surprised that you had not actually met most of them before. As far as your, inst your kind of collective instinct for grasping onto the story, it seems like it only took a session or two for everyone to kind of start understanding, oh, we really can <laughs> lean into despair when necessary or lean into the sort of inherent chaos of the uncertainty of the magical world because we can see that on the other side of this, 
there's going to be something really good in the story, even though we don't quite know what that is. And that was for me as a GM was really interesting and kind of inspiring to watch because I think I've only recently started to learn the sort of deeper arts of uh, Darcy said it so well the other day, something about really learning to step back and being the spark for a story, but not the substrate and, you know, letting the players just like step in and take over. She was really good about knowing when to step in, move things forward and then step back and let you all as the Mm -hmm. players just run with things. It was really neat to watch as players how thirsty you all were for being willing to take the most interesting option, not the one that necessarily immediately seemed the best for your player. And that's very much in the spirit of Indigenous yeah, Sun. I'm really curious, cool. though, because I think I think it's super dependent, right? Um, as someone who also GMs, right? Uh, obviously, as Invisible Sun, as far as Invisible Sun is concerned, I, I've never um, been on that side of the table before. But as far as GMing goes, I think it's always so table-specific, right? Yeah, um, of course. You, how many groups do you run for, out of curiosity? So right now, I'm part of the beta test for Invisible Sun, and so I've been playing, leading up to the launch of the game, I've been playing in our home group and running the game for our home group. Even though these are players that I have GM'd other games for, my experience was that Invisible Sun felt, the the story itself felt like a living creature that we all collectively had less (laughs) control over than usual. There's always this tension between what the GM has in mind and what the players have in mind. And that's one of the lovely things about tabletop is that no one quite knows where a story is going to go. But to me, more than any other game I've ever GM'd, our little campaign with Invisible Sun has felt like its own separate entity, separate from (laughs) what anyone at the table was trying to make it into, which has actually been really rewarding and kind of tiring in a way that, uh, other GMing isn't, but also really satisfying. Like I've really, really loved it. So I can't wait to see that in the future with another table and kind of be able to compare and see how it feels. Yeah, it's it's interesting because yeah, that, there's something about that that mindset of you know you, you have to know your players first of all. Where sure, of course. that the mindset is so interestingly different sometimes between systems. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I think um, Invisible Sun is one where it it takes a a second to acclimate to it and that it it's weird because it almost uh promotes deeply personal choices yes that's a great way to put it and and i think in in that in that way like everyone really driving towards sometimes deeply personal goals or personal character arcs um can be like yeah this thing is just going at kind of like it's going its own way because it's this weird kind of like chimeric mm-hmm. monster that four or five people are inputting to at the same time. Oh, that's really insightful. I, I think that the arcs system specifically, because each player and each character comes into the game with a really clear and specific mm-hmm. set of goals, maybe more than usual, the GM's job has way less to do with pushing the characters forward together into a story than <laughs> restraining all of the wild stories that are already happening and like pulling back and forming them into one mass. Like it's much more about you've got this thing going on. You've got this thing going on. You've got these three things going on and I'm going to like rein all of those in and like wrestle them and weave them into a cohesive whole. Whereas I think many other systems, the GM is 
starting from an inertial point and trying to push people forward. And here it's the opposite. That's that, that idea of a multi-headed beast, <laughs> the chimeral sort of thing is really, yeah. feels yeah. appropriate to me. And, and in a lot of ways, because uh, a system like this and take into consideration that losing isn't necessarily bad um, or losing isn't necessarily right. like game ending. And then it takes a lot right. of the a lot of the stress off of that compulsion to tamp down your deeply personal character choices. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where that, that like might in another system, um, you know, endanger the party or uh hold the party back or like get the party arrested right. or whatever. Um, because an invisible sun, that stuff is still all positive. Like that's the outcomes are all still good. Ah, oh, that's so but it does I think the system does do a of enabling um, more personalized play. Yeah, that's so true. That's so good. Yeah, it's it's like you're because you usually do have to kind of make the safe choice on mm -hmm. some level for the good of a group or whatever. And this is allowing the almost, frankly, if you always made safe choices, perfectly safe choices, you would never have any joy or despair and nothing would ever advance. <laughs> so you have to not only always ever be safe. Yeah. Pretty cool. And now, a word. If you missed your chance last week, there is grace in the light of the gold sun. Razor Girl Press is a literary speculative fiction press that focuses on inclusive publishing of exquisite prose, fantastical adventure, and vivid other worlds. Today I'd like to feature a book that explores the tangled web woven between Shadow and the Pale. Shifting Borders by Jesse Kwok is the tale of a resurrection gone awry, leaving a woman possessed by her sister's dead lover. Soon, she becomes caught between her sister's supernatural past and a gang of drug runners who desperately want to get their hands on the ghost she's hosting. Visit the website at razorgirlpress.com and pick up Shifting Borders and peruse their other offerings ranging from dystopian epics to urban fantasy. I've been thinking a little about we're just at a really interesting time, kind of culturally and, and historically as far as technology is concerned, because you know, using a woman with hollow eyes as an example, you know, this is improv and this is tabletop role playing <laughs> taken up as spectator sport where this is happening live and people out there are actively watching and commenting and in fact influencing the direction of the story through choices that they've made. Both the people who pitched into the Kickstarter and created NPCs or whatnot, and then also people live in the moment who are spending bits to be able to affect the story me as a young person playing D, &D you know whatever never would have imagined that there would be this kind of cultural moment where this gets turned into a uh a large scale community thing where people can mm -hmm. join in and see this as a worthwhile way to spend <laughs> you know an afternoon yeah <laughs> watching this happen and taking part in it um it's just it's just fascinating. What are some of the other ways that you have seen technology uh, or, or communication affect all of this in your life? I mean, something specifically with the women with hollow eyes that I, I couldn't even tell you how different that whole experience would have been without this is something that James D'Amato sort of created uh, or incorporated, I should say, into his Dungeon Dome series, which is also amazing, and people should definitely check it out. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, you should. Uh, it's um, 
It's great. It's basically professional wrestling meets uh, 5e <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons rules. What? Um, ah, it's so cool. Great. It's awesome. So there's a commentator, and you know, it's a top-down view of this environment board, and then there's stuff that happens, and usually some kind of like match-related goal, and it's a tag team match, and it's great. It's amazing. Um, yes, but the thing that's nice. the most interesting about it, and the thing that we kind of stole from it and incorporated into Omen with All Eyes, is that because we're doing it live, there's a chat, there's like an audience watching, so we can let them influence the match or influence the game or influence oh, the story. Man. So in like p- picking picking a side and you know picking your yeah, favorite. Yeah, it's it's kind of like Hunger Games. Totally. In uh, in Dungeon wow. Dome. It's the difference between, you know, I love The Miz, so I'm going to give them, uh, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay 200 bits or whatever um, and give them a shout-out on the Twitch chat and give them advantage on a roll or give them the ability sure. to activate a special move of theirs. And that, that's, wow. like, game-changing. And we did that, we did that in yeah. Hollow Eyes, too, where we uh, allowed the, the people watching to force us to redraw soothe cards or give us um, mm-hmm. like venture options. And the, the thing that was really fascinating about that experience was that the chat also really got into this idea of like, yeah, it's not, it's not always about them winning, right? Like when you, mm-hmm. when, uh, and using like something like critical role as example, where everyone's watching because we we're watching this shared storytelling experience and we want our heroes to win and we want to see them like have fun and interact with each other. And at the end of the day, like we, we, we need them to win. They're our heroes. Right. Of course. Um, yes. But in hollow eyes, what we saw was um, people making choices. <laughs> yeah. People making choices like, no, 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 <laughs> this is too good. Right. Like this is too good. This is too easy. Wayne can't have that nice thing. Not yes. Yet. Take it away. Um, and it and it led to, you know, the the audience input, um, live from all over the country, all over the world, wherever wow. people were located. That live yeah. input had so much drastic impact on where the story went. Oh my gosh, yes. That I it's hard to imagine what it would have been like, you know, if if this was just a private game that we ran for ourselves in a studio somewhere. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. And I've actually been running um, a play by post game for almost a year now uh, in discord with people who are located kind of all around the country and we can play as we go. And, you know, we all have very different schedules living in different time zones and that the ability to download an app and just kind of like chat as our characters back and forth or what have you has made running that game possible in a, in a way that it just wouldn't have been, you know, even five, six years ago. You gave me a little preview of what's happening uh, in there, and I, I've been able to poke around and read some of what's come out of it. And uh, it's so neat, because I, you know, I did some play-by-post stuff, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, but it was very much like, all right, gonna go you know, <laughs> fire up the modem and sit down and <laughs> be at a computer. And you know, the fact that... Uh, the asynchronous nature of something like Discord and the fact that we all have these little supercomputers in our pockets. Man, just the fact that <laughs> people can, you know, there's little bots in there to quickly summon like, well, I can't remember exactly the details of this spell. Let me, up. Oh, here's the description. Cool. Now we can keep going for, you know, mixing media in there, having conversations in and out of character, different voices. Just what an incredible fluid piecemeal way to tell a story and keep it going for how long you said you've been doing this almost a year right yeah we're we're approaching a year i think in july 
So cool. And how many players do you have in there? Um, ooh, I've got f- uh, six, six, I think. Two, let me think. One, two, three, four. Yes, six. And what have you seen over the course of that year in terms of their growth or involvement in kind of settling into the story and how it all works? Oh, it's wild. Um, I mean, a lot, obviously, in a year's worth of storying, um, we've been able to get through uh, just a lot of narrative ground. And also to get deeply into the characters. You, you know, no one knows their character right away, but after a year of writing in that voice. Oh, yeah. It's crazy to see some of their evolutions kind of from where they started to where they are now. Uh, one of my players actually said, and th- and this is like the greatest GM feeling of all time is having someone be like, you know, normally I don't care. You know, characters are characters. Characters are fun. They live, they die. I make a new one. Right. Um, sure. <laughs> that, I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but damn. Uh, <laughs> but they were like, yeah, that's normally how I feel. But um, this character in this game, I am legitimately nervous. Like when, when it feels like oh. we're in dangerous situations, like I don't want to lose one. Real stakes. Yeah, yes. if you, which means it feels real, which is, oh, that's the yeah. best. Um, mm, so good. And uh, I think part of that is, yeah, just being able to grow into a character over the course of time. And there's something, too, about this, that the game is always running, right? Because it's, it's mm-hmm. play-by-post, which I think the name play by post we might just have to find a new term for that now yeah, because we must play we by must. post implies this like long thing where you think about it like you know you get a letter in the mail remember that oh yeah you get a letter in the mail and you think about you read the thing and you're like oh night to e7 interesting and you move your piece and you look at the board and you think about it for a little while and then like you make your move and you write your letter back and then you don't think about it anymore yep um yep, exactly but now, because we're carrying this, as you said, carrying these, this like unbelievable communication device in our pocket, yeah. the game is kind of always running. Right. I'm like very much overlaid atop your normal life, right? Like right. in all the little nooks and crannies between what you have going on in real life, then there's also this other thing. Yes. So cool. It's, and it's been interesting to see how that watching people on off days or whatever, watching whoever's around kind of talk about, oh, well, I think this is happening. Or like, man, when we get to such and such a place, I'm going to do this. And like, so we're, <laughs> so we're kind of thinking in terms of our characters, even when the game is not quote unquote on. Uh-huh. Sure. Which I think has kind of sped that character growth up as well, or like people's ability to flex into those different roles very very cool so it's been it's i mean i'm proud of all of them they they're killing it they've gotten so good at feeling their character voices and playing the game as more than more than a game yeah it's great great oh so very good cool yeah it's it's exciting watching all these things come together that allow for new ways to experience and and to share together in making something really really cool cool that's all the things i had immediately is there anything else you'd like to tell us about or let listeners know where they can find you and see more of what you're up to um i mean no i don't have much else i mean i just feel like we covered so much ground holy moly um it was a lot. Yeah, I mean, I uh, if you like hearing me ramble like that about <laughs> just 
philosophical game related things by all means check out the tldm podcast or follow me on twitter i guess and that's sure. that's all i mean those are the those are the two places i'm at that's that's pretty good what's what's your what's your twiddle twitter my handle? twitter handle is uh i think it's just my name alan linick a-l-a-n L-I-N-I-C. And for anyone who might be interested in spectating my ongoing play-by-post game, you can hit me up on Twitter and I'll just invite you to the Discord channel. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. you. As the black cubes draw nearer, we approach not only their arrival on our very large, sturdy tables, but the lifting of the non-disclosure agreement for all Invisible Sun beta testers. In preparation, I'd like to introduce a new segment, The Streets of Saturine. This will contain tips and stories from my own experience running Invisible Sun in our home game. First, I'd like you to meet some of the players. You've already met our resident apostate Aaron Stallcup. Tonight, I'd like you to meet our weaver and soon maker, Talbert So. Welcome to the streets of Saturine. Be careful, it's dangerous up there. Hello, Talbert. Usually I'm rolling dice with you when we are talking. How's it going? Yes, I'm doing very well. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, You get to be the inaugural guest in this Streets of Saturine segment in which we're going to be talking about our home game and our own experiences playing Invisible Sun. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do? All right. My name is Talbert So, and I am a web programmer for Northern Arizona University. Nice. Well, more interestingly, what kind of nerd are you, Talbert? Obviously, you roll dice, but you're you're other kinds of nerd also, aren't you? Oh yes, I am a jack of all trades nerd. <laughs> That's impressive. What are what are some what are what are some of your uh, specialties in which you have uh, devoted extra skill points? Uh, definitely a lot of video games, mm-hmm. uh, particularly like. Uh, creative open world type you know minecraft or terraria very cool i want to hear a little bit about your invisible sun character because uh although the character you played in the beta may not be who you play in our upcoming home game there's some familial connections there and i want the listeners to kind of begin getting a little bit of an understanding of the world we've been playing in and to know our characters Sure thing. So when I was first decided to create a character, I, I was really looking at the um the walks the path of suns, and I was that's when I first looked at that. And I looked at the weaver, and I, I I definitely wanted to try to incorporate both of those into the character. And so the story started developing in my head about like I've always been a person that really likes the storyline of like you know somebody who kind of rebels against mm. their their life, you know how the, how their life is going, I guess. Sure. So. Like I, that's why I thought like walks the path of suns would be really good of like somebody who's breaking away from their traditional path to like follow another path. I then started thinking about okay, well, who usually rebels? I I wanted like this this storyline of somebody who was a part of a illustrious mm. family name, and the person just wants to break away from that. Somebody that just wants to be their own person. They want to make their own mark on the world or something. Rad. That's what originally started me off on making this character, and I named him Gian. Very cool. Uh, for those who maybe don't know, can you tell us in your own words a little bit about what it means and what a character who walks the path of suns is invested in? Uh, yeah, so the different visually of the world, they all basically find their niche within their, their particular skill sets, and then they kind of like live inside their world. But to a person who walks the path of suns, it sounded like the person 
understood that there was more than the few sons that any other normal person might hear about or like you know just learn about and that there might be a connection between all the sons and that's like the the big thing is that there is a hidden connection between all of them and possibly even further and that's the person that walks past the sons that they want to find out this mystery secrets secrets all the secrets love it (laughs) (laughs) we haven't formally finished character creation for the upcoming game um the black cubes by the way are currently sitting in customs in california having arrived across the ocean so we are within weeks of having them on our table but i knew you had some initial thoughts about a new character and i was wondering if you wanted to share a bit about that and his connection to Gian. yeah so um as we started doing our our beta test gameplay uh, and i did mine with Gian, who was this like you know aristocrat who rebelled against his family and was now on his own like like pauper path, I guess you could say, um, even rebelling against his own family name. As we were trying to do the story, I started like developing the world inside my head about what was his family like. So I was thinking about the Smith family. They're you know this aristocratic family of makers. So then that kind of helped me build Gion of like who he does not want to be, and that's why he chose to become a weaver instead of following the path of a mm. maker. Um, but then as we started saying like, oh, we should probably roll new characters for the upcoming actual gameplay. I really wanted to develop a character that was still within the Smith family. And so that's when I came up with, uh, Zirneth, uh, as his, his uncle and his uncle will have his own storyline of being in the shadow of his older brother, who would be Xion's father. Sure. Cool. So, uh, I figured with Zirneth as being a character who just followed within the family's footsteps, but then. I wanted to like make the storyline have it so that he has an understanding with Gion because basically he kind of sees in Gion this uh this connection of like oh you're leading the life that I should have led kind of thing. Very cool. I'm excited by this idea that the game that we play uh it's going to be a separate plot and a separate storyline, but I think I want to set it shortly after uh, our previous beta campaign. So. Some of the characters that we previously played may be running around as NPCs, which I think is is pretty fun. So if you ever wanted to go and visit Gian uh, in character, you could do that, which I think is pretty great. <laughs> yeah, which is what I really like about Invisible Sun. What kind of stories or character choices show up here that maybe would have played out differently in a different system? Well, I know for Invisible Sun, the biggest thing was the setup for the gameplay. There's a lot of pre-prep before you actually get into the game. That was the, you know, you making, you have the group help you make your... Um, yeah, the the character and neighborhood and kind of some of the things going on. Your yeah. connections, yeah. So this one was definitely the first time I've ever done anything like that for a tabletop. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the other ones, you know, it, you know, at most you'd be spending like 40 minutes building a character. And then you're off to the races. What are some of the uh, the effects or, or the results of that process uh, in gameplay? Um, so for me as a player, I already was building a, a character. I was already building a story. But then for in the beta test, I really felt that became a hindrance when we had the group together and we're building the foundations or building connections with other characters. Because all of a sudden, like, oh, the story I'm building in my head will have to be put on hold or like, you know, just push off the side for now. We need to get all this other stuff, which... I think was more of a hindrance in the beginning, but as we kept on playing, mm-hmm. I got past it and got more into my story that I wanted to explore. It, was, it became a lot better. I've heard Monty Cook say, oh, in real life, you don't get to pick your neighbors. <laughs> so that's why your friends pick your neighbors for you. And it really can kind of get in the way of your perfectly crafted story. 
I think for somebody that was not like me, already developing story, you know, maybe somebody who was like, yeah, I want to take a crack at this and just completely like let the game wash over them and like they dive dive full head on into this game. I think that would actually be a benefit then because you then you don't have to worry about your world. You have the world built around you with your right. with your friends at the tabletop. And when you get when you're all together building this world, you then all of a sudden feel a part of it with your friends. So I could see that as being a plus. And then once you're in the story, there's a huge amount of opportunity as a player to advance whatever your skills or your connections or your order or your forte or, you know, so there's a lot that you do have control over once it's up and going, but it is different at the beginning um, in that way. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I'm looking forward to uh, getting together in just a couple of weeks and uh, picking your neighbors. That'll be a lot of fun. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you came back to see us. It is last call. White dogs are on special. If you're enjoying what you hear, it would be a tremendous help if you'd take a moment and rate or review this episode on iTunes or Overcast or Pocket Casts, wherever you find us. As a new podcast especially, it will help make the thought forms of the noosphere take notice of us. And if you're interested in advertising, write me at secretseller at zeros.bar. For the moment, you can purchase an ad for just $2. This is a great place to put your thing in front of smart, nerdy, delightful people. Audio design for The Secret Seller is by Casey Ross. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games, with whom Zeros.Bar and The Secret Seller are unaffiliated. May you find freedom, my friends, from Shadow. Mm-hmm.